Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After a pretty young Jersey girl leaves the local beauty salon, no one will ever see her alive again. It's just so real when one of your kids is missing like that. Did this friendly teen have a secret enemy? The killer had no regard for the value of human life and was there for his own pleasure and own purpose. Detectives have pegged a trio of suspects for this tragic killing. A crush who keeps Sharita hanging on the line and an admirer who may hold a deep, dark secret. Or was a gal pal in cahoots with the killer? The killer really must be a disturbed person. Something's wrong with them. Beyond being a murderer. It takes a lucky break for police to corner the killer. Gotcha. Now it's time for you to get yours. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Resting on the eastern shore of the Delaware River, just over the bridge from Philly, is sleepy Pensauken, New Jersey. Luckily, when Pensaukenites want to wake up and smell the coffee, all they have to do is head over to a 40-year-old landmark that's an American classic. New Jersey's famous for his diners, and the Pen Queen is one of the oldest around. It still looks the same. And it's still a place where people gather before and after high school games. and. There's not too many places like that around anymore. The classic diner fits perfectly in this little town because Pensacan locals are more likely to reach for a greasy spoon than a silver one. You're not going to find many millionaires in Pensacan or many mansions. It's just regular working people, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. The Williams family over on Gross Avenue is a good example of strong Pensacan stock. Harry and Wilma Williams can't imagine raising their three kids anywhere else. When my kids were coming up, there was a lot of kids on this block, so they, they basically stayed around here and played. And if anyone on this street rules the roost, it's the Williams' middle daughter. 
16-year-old Sharita. There's no denying this dark-haired beauty is the star of the family. Headstrong with a heart of gold. She would do anything for you, for anybody. Always trusting people and just being a loving person. Sharita hopes her light will one day shine on those less fortunate. She was interested in college and becoming a social worker. So we were getting ready, playing the college thing, visiting schools and all of that. But as much as Sharita enjoys daydreaming about her future, for now, this girly girl's favorite spot is down at the corner salon. She loved to get her eyebrows done, nails done, hair done, all that stuff really mattered to her. And in November of 2003, Sharita takes full advantage of the Thanksgiving school break by penciling in some beauty time. She has no idea her upcoming appointment will be her last. Around 5.30 on Friday, November 28th, the rain is peppering Pensaukin like marbles on a tin roof. Despite the downpour, Sharita tells her folks that she and her best friend, Natalie, are heading down to the salon. But she'll be back before they know it. I figured they were bored. They decided, well, let's walk in the rain and go get our eyebrows. It's only a five-minute walk. So she left. But despite Sharita's promise of a quick trip, she doesn't return anytime soon. And at 10 o'clock, her favorite chair in the living room is still empty. Even then, history tells Mama Wilma not to get too worked up. I assume that Sharita was down her girlfriend's house. Maybe they fell asleep. Didn't bother me. Didn't even think about it because they did it so much. The mood in the Williams' home changes first thing the next morning when Sharita is still nowhere in sight. Sharita's bed hasn't been slept in, and she hasn't called, something mom and dad can always rely on her to do. Not only that, according to Natalie, the two never caught up with each other the night before. That morning when Sharita was missing, I had the worst pains in my stomach. I don't know if it's just mother stuff I was going through and feeling something was done to Sharita. Mother's intuition. Sharita's parents are sure their daughter's no runaway. So they do a little legwork, searching Pensaukin's nooks and crannies. Me and my wife took it into our own hands, and we went around looking for Sharita at different places. The nail salon was the last place Sharita said she'd be, but it isn't open this early on a Saturday, so the pair starts elsewhere. With mom and dad splitting up so they can cover more ground, their sense of dread increases with every passing minute. I didn't want to believe anything bad happened to Sharita, but in my gut, because she wasn't contacting anybody, that's how I felt. And while Wilma is worrying, she pulls over near the 36th Street Bridge to take a break and look around. When she peeks down at the road below, she gets a gander of something peculiar. At first glance, it appears to be a man lying in the gravel. When I saw the person under the bridge with no coat on, it was cold. I thought that person was a transient that just died under there. Wilma grabs her cell phone and reports her unusual find to the authorities never letting herself think this just might be her own daughter. My mind was just playing all kind of tricks on me at that time. Because I, I don't think in my mind I could accept that that was my daughter that I was looking at. As police funnel in, Wilma phones her husband, Harry, for moral support. 
and he's there in a flash. But this practical papa is willing to rush in where his wife feared to tread. They will hold me back. I know I couldn't go down there, but I wanted to see if it was my daughter. But as Harry climbs under the crime scene tape, officers head him off. Detectives understand his frustration, but they've got to protect the evidence. They actually made us leave, told us to go home. Sergeant Martin Wolf has a feeling he won't be spending much time at home this weekend. The 17-year veteran investigator with the Camden County Prosecutor's Office is already on his way to the scene playing out under the bridge. And this law dog knows he's heading into a rough part of town. The location under the bridge, it, it's a hangout for various people. There's street bums that would hang out there. There's drug activity in that area. But as a military reservist, Wolf is ready for anything. I've been in the Marine Reserves, the National Guard, and the Army Reserves. Being in the reserves, it, it definitely contributes to your professionalism. Helping your comrades out, helping your friends out that you work with, helping your fellow soldiers out, I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw. The Pensacan PD gives this well-rounded investigator the lowdown. Officers tell him right away the victim isn't the sleeping vagrant Wilma Williams described during her 911 call, but a teenage girl who fits her missing daughter's description. It's very strange. It's rare that the mom would discover the body nowhere near her home. When the detective finds a purse lying nearby and looks inside, the ID confirms his worst fears. This is indeed Sharita. However, if there's no question who the poor girl is, what happened to her is anything but clear. She was laying face up in the dirt. She was disheveled. She had dirt on her. It could have been that she rolled down the hill. But a closer look proves this is no accident. Her hands tied behind her back, her shirt open, exposing her chest, and her pants were unbuttoned. The general disheveled nature of the scene, I thought it was a homicide. However, with no obvious injuries, exactly how Sharita met her fate isn't so clear. Do you have nothing to go on in regard to the actual cause of death initially? And it, it does make it more difficult. But Wolf does know. He's looking for a killer who didn't just want his victim good and dead. Deep red marks around Sharita's waist show that her underwear was probably ripped off during a sexual assault. Her underwear had been removed. We don't know when, but we did find them at the scene near the body. Seems the killer may have covered her mouth during the attack with something that belonged to him. I found a do-rag that was around her neck, and it didn't appear to be something that she would have worn. So we believe that that was a critical piece of evidence that possibly could come from the murderer. And it looks like that's not the only way Sharita's attacker tried to silence her. Two plastic bags are stuffed in her mouth like a gag. Well, that was obviously surprising. Clearly, somebody had shoved plastic shopping bags in her mouth, and I, I'd never seen a situation where that's occurred before. The plastic bags appear to be from a nearby sporting goods store. There's even a receipt for a black T-shirt from the same store a few feet away from the body. The receipt was dated 4.28 p.m., the same day that Sharita went missing. 
Was this the young woman's final purchase? Or did her killer do some shopping on that fateful Black Friday? So the coincidence of that receipt with that time and the time that she went missing led us to believe that maybe somebody had been to the mall that was involved in this homicide. Having more questions than answers, detectives signed the body over to the coroner, hoping he can shed some light on this murky case. When Wolf shares the dark news with Sharita's loving parents back at their home, they're devastated. I couldn't believe that my daughter was killed. Why was my daughter murdered? What, what for? I mean, what could she have done so bad to somebody for them to murder her? Put you on your knees, it did me. You just get weak, you cry, you scream, you howl, you get mad. I did all of that. Sergeant Wolf swears to Sharita's family that he'll hunt down the person responsible. And that's when Wilma throws Wolf a bone that may put him on the right trail. Wilma told us that one of Sharita's friends, when Wilma was calling around on Saturday morning, did mention the 36th Street Bridge to her that may have prompted her to, to go to that location. How did Sharita's school friend, Tia Sedgwick, know she was there? And what else might she be hiding? The friend did mention that Sharita always hated walking over that bridge. It was scary to her. But does Sharita's buddy know the reason for her friend's fear? If she does, maybe she can lead police to the monster who killed Sharita. Or did Tia have a reason to want her beautiful BFF out of the picture? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Danger lurks in the American landscape. No one in their right mind would be out here, which makes it the perfect place to kill someone. Introducing Hot and Deadly from ID, your podcast for classic American true crime served with a side of biscuits and gravy. 
On each episode, you'll hear some of ID's most shocking stories of murder and betrayal, from the mystery of a preacher shot and killed by a bow and arrow to a former prom queen gone missing and found murdered. Listen to Hot and Deadly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For decades, Jerseyites have been banned from pumping their own gas, a law that's supposed to keep drivers safe from the flammable fuel. An extra cost the hardworking folks of Pensauken could do without. But after the murder of Sherita Williams, they're fuming over more important matters. A young girl was walking around on the street in an American suburb and was dead hours later underneath a railroad bridge and that the killer hasn't been caught. I'm sure it struck fear in a lot of people's hearts in Pensauken that, that morning when they found out. Everyone in town is trying to solve this whodunit, including Philadelphia Daily News reporter Jason Nark. There was definitely gossip and speculation, but that's how things work when there's no answers. People just start coming up with answers of their own. Fortunately, Sergeant Martin Wolf is on the case, and he's working overtime to figure out who's behind the murder. Wolf's already confirmed Sharita made it to her scheduled salon appointment that night. Security video shows her leaving around 6 o'clock. However, it seems everyone there has a clear coat and a clear conscience. We uh, talked to the management. There was no evidence that anybody at the nail salon knew anything about what happened to Sharita Williams. Despite the salon's strikeout, Wolf's instincts tell him someone in town is hiding something. Right now, his sights are set on Sharita's friend, Tia Sedgwick. Nobody had known where Sharita was, but apparently she said something about the bridge to the mother. And the mother then, based on that, went to that location, the 36th Street Bridge, and found Sharita Williams. Sure seems mighty strange that Tia just happened to guide Sharita's mom to her friend's final resting place. Even though Tia didn't flat out tell Wilma to go there, she strongly suggested it. Sharita's dad thinks Tia knows more than she's letting on. I felt that she had something to do with Sharita's death and had a guilty conscience and had to tell us where Sharita was. Perhaps Tia is behind the murder. Maybe she and Sharita got in a tiff that blew out of control. Police can't help but wonder if Tia at least knows who did it. Typically, in a situation where uh, a female has been murdered near her home, the circle of people around her are the people you would go to first for two reasons. One, to see if they're a suspect. The second thing is, what kind of witness are they? To find out, Detectives visit Tia at her nearby home, and she seems stunned to see them. She sure looks like a grieving friend, but police know appearances can be deceiving. Detectives ask straight out if she has anything to confess. Tia scoffs at their wild accusation, but they press on. When we have to question somebody about a murder, it doesn't matter who it is. It needs to be done. Police want to know how Tia knew exactly where to send Sharita's mother. Tia swears it was just a hunch, since Sharita sometimes went that route to visit a boy she liked who lives just a block and a half from the bridge, a man named Lonnie Kramer, who Sharita's parents and investigators know little about. 
I met Lonnie twice, and I knew she had a crush on him, but I didn't think much of him. I just thought it was just a crush Sharita had. I didn't believe it was anything serious. Tia has a feeling Sharita kept her parents in the dark that night, sneaking over to Lonnie's place after her manicure appointment. She wasn't allowed to walk to his house. Or I know her father would have been very upset about that. Tia says that's why she was hesitant to let the cat out of the bag, instead simply hinting at the path Sharita probably took that night. I think that Tia was trying to help Sharita's mother get a better understanding of where Sharita was in the hours before she went missing. So with Tia's statement in their back pocket, detectives turned their attention to Lonnie. Maybe Sharita's teenage dream turned into a nightmare. Obviously, that avenue was primary because it's not related to the family, the family we have access to. So our initial response was to see what's going on with that. But before Sergeant Wolf can hit the books on Sharita's mystery man, the department assigns him a partner in crime. Senior investigator John Greer is Pensauken's own resident workhorse, a guy whose 24-7 attitude gives him more street cred than Tony Soprano himself. With nearly two decades of experience, he's always one step ahead of the common criminal. The standing joke was that I had my paperwork in on the next homicide before the homicide actually came in. That's just the type of person that I am. But before Greer can even crack open Sharita's case file, the coroner's report lands on his desk. The M.E. agrees with the detective's suspicions of sexual assault. A stain on one of Sharita's pant legs appears to be semen. Only the crime lab can say for sure. But detectives aren't holding their breath for a quick turnaround. It was still on the heels of 9-11, and um, it was hard to get a lab that would make it a priority for obvious reasons. But the coroner has made his cause of death ruling a priority, asphyxiation, likely from the do-rag found around Sharita's neck. However, he's stumped as to why one of the bags was shoved all the way down the girl's throat after she died. For somebody to do that, to stuff bags down a child's throat, is obviously very disturbing. Something's wrong with them. Beyond being a murderer, there really must be a disturbed person. I had worked over 100 homicides, and I've never seen anything like that. With the autopsy results on file, detectives pick up where they left off, gathering intel on the apple of Sharita's eye, Lonnie Kramer. What police find raises even more suspicions. Lonnie turned out to be a real player. He had multiple girlfriends. He had apparently several girlfriends at one time. Was Sharita the odd girl out? According to Sharita's friends, it's a good possibility. At the time of the murder, indications were that Sharita was more involved with Lonnie than Lonnie believed. Perhaps Sharita got a little too clingy for comfort, and he knew exactly how to solve his girl problems. I was of the belief that she was not taken there against her will, so she would have went there with someone she knew or trusted. Did Sharita follow Lonnie all the way to her grave? Or might someone else just be the mother of all suspects? Pensacon, New Jersey is proud to say it's home to union leader Peter J. McGuire, the founder of Labor Day. 
But just two days after high school student Sharita Williams is found brutally murdered, no one feels like taking a holiday. I kept myself busy by keeping involved with Sharita, hanging flyers, thousands of flyers around. We kept doing what we could do to try to solve it. Good thing Sharita's parents aren't the only ones hanging on to the case. Police have also been burning the midnight oil, searching for her murderer. I kept a toothbrush, a tube of toothpaste, and a bottle of mouthwash in one of my drawers in my desk. I often did not get to go home. Though there's one home Greer is itching to go to. Police think Lonnie Kramer, the object of Sharita's affection, might be good for the murder, since he and Sharita may have gotten together that night at his place. The close proximity of Lonnie's residence and his family's to the crime scene, that stepped it up a notch on my scale of suspects. Armed with an arsenal of suspicions, detectives knock on the recent high school grad's door. Lonnie's mother invites them in and calls for her son. Strangely, neither seems shaken up by the police presence in their home. They said they had seen something on TV about the murder. There had been a news broadcast of some sort, so they knew something was going on. But when police ask this part-time security guard if Sharita came by his place that night, he admits she did, around 6.30. Though Lonnie claims he never got the chance to see her. He was up in his bedroom, sleeping, getting ready because he, he had to work that night. And his mother's the one that answered the door and spoke with Sharita. So detectives turn to mom for details, and they're shocked when she admits that she never even let Sharita inside. We thought it was odd that the mother would turn another child away on a night such as that. It was rainy, it was cold. Yet she never invited her in, and well, it did strike a bell with us. Lonnie's mom says there's nothing to hide. She simply didn't like the girl. But police wonder if this mother is covering for her own son. She denied Sharita access to the house and was protective of Lonnie. And if Lonnie was, in fact, the murderer, would have had a perfect alibi for him. Lonnie chimes in to say that Sharita's journey didn't end on his doorstep. While he tried to rest up for work, Sharita called him repeatedly, saying she was at a payphone on 32nd Street and livid that his mother just left her out in the cold. Lonnie says he listened to Sharita vent for a while, but eventually cut her off once and for all. Lonnie told us that Sharita Williams dialed his number about 15 times. The first one connected. He says he then disconnected his phone so he can go to sleep. Was Lonnie angry enough to dial up Sharita's murder? Perhaps he wasn't up in his room, instead down at the bridge, quieting Sharita for good. Police can't seem to shake the notion that he's making the whole thing up. We thought he may very well be telling the truth. However, just because they tell you one thing, you have to verify it. Detectives make a note to check Lonnie's phone records later. But for right now, they ask him to come down to the station for their version of a lie detector test. Lonnie Kramer took a computerized voice stress analyzer test to see if he had anything to do with Sharita Williams' death. He passed that test. Without a sliver of hard evidence against the budding bow, detectives have no choice but to cut Lonnie loose 
and move on. It's frustrating not only that you're having difficulties closing the case, but of course that person who did all that is still out there, and you don't know if it's, that person's going to do it again. To ensure that doesn't happen, detectives take a second look at the evidence found at the crime scene, including the receipt for a black T-shirt bought from the same store as the bags used to silence Sharita. Investigators head to the local mall, hoping to catch the perp on videotape. Someone who may have done a little shopping just hours before Sharita turned up dead. I was hopeful that they may have video that would show a person at the time frame that was stamped at 4.28 p.m. to be able to put a face to that receipt. However, police are informed that the store's eye in the sky has been blind for weeks. So detectives request some additional customer service, asking cashiers on duty that day to dip into their memory banks. It was disheartening because we were not able to establish who the killer may have been based on statements from the employees because they did not recall someone purchasing that article of clothing. It kind of fizzled out on the vine. So investigators leave the shopping mall empty-handed. They know each roadblock they hit is giving Sharita's killer an extra step ahead. Uh, sporting goods receipt. We're trying to track down people. It's all taking time. It all came to a dead end. So it took us away, and it certainly didn't help the investigation. Luckily, detectives get a tip they hope will blow the case wide open. While interviewing some of Sharita's school friends, one remembers seeing fellow classmate Neil Davenport driving near the bridge that night, and she could have sworn Sharita was sitting right beside him. Neil Davenport was the boyfriend of one of Sharita's close friends. So he would know Sharita, Sharita would know him, Sharita would feel comfortable with him. As it turns out, Neil may have felt a little too comfortable around Sharita. There was some question whether he actually, on the side, liked Sharita as well. And so that piqued our curiosity. Was Neil so crazy about Sharita that he did the unthinkable? Neil was a little squirrely guy, not a guy that you really trust. Or are police tailing the wrong person completely? A week after Sharita Williams' murder, the mood in Pensauken is as dark as the horror movies that used to play at the old drive-in on Admiral Wilson Boulevard. And Sharita's mom can't stop thinking of how her daughter's life might have played out if it hadn't been cut short. I'm thinking Sharita's getting ready to graduate from high school. In a year, she's getting ready to take senior pictures. We were just in the car talking about college as we I was taking her out for job interviews. It was just surreal. I love my daughter to this day. I wish my daughter could be here with us. I mean, a 16-year-old beautiful girl had so much going for herself. It's not here anymore. Luckily, detectives are gearing up for an interview of their own. They have their eyes on a young man who's rumored to be sweet on Sharita. Some of her friends noticed fellow classmate Neil Davenport driving his car near the 36th Street Bridge the night Sharita was killed, and they thought they saw her in the passenger seat. After learning that Sharita may have gotten into a car that night, obviously that's a lead you want to follow up. It sounds solid. 
detectives know Sharita used a payphone near the bridge to call the boy she liked, Lonnie Kramer, after being booted from his house. So they wonder if she then called someone else for a lift home. And one person she knew with a car was Neil. And she knew well enough that she can call him and get a ride. Sure sounds like a call Neil would have jumped to answer. He already has a steady girlfriend, but according to the grapevine, he's always had eyes for Sharita. Maybe instead of taking Sharita home, this smooth operator tried putting the moves on her. That makes you wonder if anything's going on. And it's something we had to get answers for. Before bringing in Neil, detectives scoop up his file and find this two-timer has a dark side. While the bad boy has never landed in a jail cell, He's had plenty of close calls over the years. Neil's the kind of guy that can get himself in trouble, absolutely. And it's somebody we wanted to look at hard and find out what he was hiding, if anything. So police track down 18-year-old Neil at his parents' house on the other side of town. Even though he's nervous, he agrees to come down to the station and tell police whatever they want to know about Charita. I always think there's a chance to get a confession. If the right situation occurs in that room, you'll get a confession. But the only thing Neil confesses is that he had a thing for Sharita. He admits to chatting her up in his car, but it was on a different night, days before she went missing, meaning the witnesses were mistaken. Neil also fesses up to driving around town the night Sharita disappeared, although he had a perfectly good reason. He had an alibi. Neil picked up his girlfriend from her place of work at the mall that night. After dropping his girlfriend off at home, Neil claims he cruised around by himself until late that night. However, he claims he never saw Sharita or talked to her. Although his girlfriend backs his story for part of the night, there's something about this shifty driver's demeanor that keeps police from slamming on the brakes. We didn't trust Neil. However, we could never say that he definitely didn't have anything to do with it. Didn't have a solid alibi for the entire evening. And we could never rule him out. With no way to tie Neil or anyone else to Sharita's murder, there doesn't appear to be a light at the end of the tunnel. We were ruling out suspects faster than we were getting suspects. And in the end, we had no suspects. And, and that's when you could say the case became cold. Sadly, it stays that way for another three months. When there are no new leads, it's really easy to have a case go to the back burner and it gets harder and harder to justify going out and being proactive in trying to create new leads. Just then, detectives get the call they've been waiting for. It's the crime lab, and they finally examine the stain found on Sharita's pant leg. It's semen all right, and it contains everything police need to ID the killer. Once we, we did get that DNA profile, we knew that we were gonna solve the case. It just matters when. Detectives rush to collect samples from both suspects on their list. Sharita Squeeze, Lonnie Kramer, and town cruiser, Neil Davenport. But they're shocked when the lab says neither of them are a match. It's very frustrating. It's doubly frustrating when you have such solid evidence that you could use if you can match it to something. It was heartrending in terms of not being able to close it for the family and for Sharita. So police try their luck by running the sample through CODIS, a nationwide database of known offenders. Shockingly, 
it appears Sharita's killer has never been behind bars. So police have no choice but to shelve the case. And that's where it stays for the next four years. That intervening time was extremely frustrating. You know you had that one piece of evidence that's going to tell you the name of the person that killed Sharita Williams, and you just can't get it. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. To keep detectives motivated, Sharita's father, Harry, contacts them once a week like clockwork. This devoted dad refuses to let his daughter's case fall by the wayside. Every Monday morning, I would call Marty Wolf, and we'd sit there and talk. He would just have this conversation. Oh, hi, don't worry, I'm going to work on it, I'm going to work on it, I'm going to work on it. Everybody has a parent, and that is the part that actually touches you because you contact them and you speak with them. So you're working for the, the family and the victim. Despite the marching orders from Sharita's family, detectives can't drum up any new information. That is, until March of 2007, nearly four years after Sharita's murder, when detectives get the news of a lifetime. According to CODIS, someone new to the system is a match to the mystery sample on Sharita's pant leg. When I got the call about the DNA match, I was elated. I, I knew this is it, we're gonna solve the case. But is it someone on the detective's radar who slipped by? Or somebody who was hiding in the shadows, studying Sharita's every move? After four grueling years, police in Pensacola, New Jersey have finally scored a break in the case of Sharita Williams, the girl found dead beneath the 36th Street Bridge. I was contacted by my crime scene investigative unit investigator. He told me, hey, listen, you got to come downstairs. We have a match on the Sharita Williams case. Detectives are thrilled to have a match after all these years. Although it's a man police and Sharita's family have never heard of, 22-year-old New Jersey native Warren Dixon. So I had asked one of Sharita's girlfriends, did she know him? And she had bust out crying. I said, what's wrong? She said he was a weirdo that went to our school. But it sounds like Warren wasn't headed for college and a career. A background check shows Dixon was hit with drug charges in Pennsylvania two years after Sharita's death. And that's why he wasn't in CODIS the first time police checked. And that's not all. He was, in fact, in the same grade that Sharita Williams was. And there was a good chance that he knew Sharita Williams. School records show just a few weeks after Sharita's murder, Dixon performed quite the disappearing act. Warren Dixon dropped out of school soon after the Sharita Williams murder. It was very suspicious. Detectives find Dixon went off the Jersey grid until his arrest in Pennsylvania. But when they study up on Dixon's last known address, a chill runs down their spines. Seems he was in the perfect spot to grab Sharita as she trudged home from her secret crush, Lonnie's place. Warren Dixon had stayed with his father on 33rd Street, only two blocks from Lonnie's house. Detectives drop what they're doing and begin searching for this cagey criminal. Thanks to Dixon's previous drug conviction, they don't have to look very hard. After his Pennsylvania arrest, Dixon moved back to the Garden State, 
but still had to attend his weekly probation meetings. Warren Dixon was actually easy to track down. He was reporting to probation across the street from our office. Investigators arrange a sit-in at Dixon's scheduled meeting. But despite the all-out blitz, Dixon keeps his cool and quietly agrees to accompany police back to the station and talk about Sharita's case. We sat him down in the room. He was calm. He indicated that he had no problem speaking with us. And we spoke with him for hours. Although Dixon is cooperative, he can't seem to focus on the conversation. And it's driving detectives crazy. Warren Dixon was an odd man to talk to. His social skills are rather lacking. It's weirdo, man. When detectives finally reel Dixon back to Earth, he says he knew Sharita from high school and remembers hearing about her death on the news, though he had nothing to do with it. As we're talking to him about the murder of one of his classmates, his demeanor was not something you would expect from someone that's being accused of a murder. There was nothing there to indicate that he really cared about what we were even talking about. But when the savvy detectives present Dixon with some cold, hard facts, this former jailbird sings a drastically different tune. Halfway through the interview, we actually told Warren Dixon that we had his DNA from the body of Sharita Williams. And all of a sudden, he came up with a story where they had sexual contact. Since Sharita's underwear was ripped from her body, it sure doesn't sound like it was consensual. But admitting they hooked up that night would explain why his DNA was found on her jeans. So investigators press Dixon hard, hoping he'll spill the beans. But Dixon won't tip his hand. He wouldn't go for it during the interview and the interrogation, so he was cut loose. Detectives' best hope of bringing Dixon down for good is to find some hard evidence linking him to the crime scene. Even with the DNA match, being able to prove he was with Sharita when she was killed could help clinch the case. And Greer wonders if an item found around Sharita's neck might be a good place to start. One of the ideas that we came up with was to send that do-rag that was found early on in the investigation out to be processed. And when the lab results come back a few months later, technicians can't find any of his DNA on the do-rag. Not the results detectives were hoping for. But they're still determined to dig up some kind of dirt on Dixon. So they ask him to stop by for another chat. And while he doesn't admit to killing Sharita, he sure asks some incriminating questions. He came right up against the edge, we would call it, of confessing. His consistent question was, well, if I did kill her and it was an accident, would I still be charged with murder? When pushed for more details, Dixon finally admits that he made a pass at Sharita under the bridge that night. And when she rejected him, he took matters into his own hands. It's the confession police have been waiting for. Six years after Dixon killed Sharita Williams, he's arrested for his crime. Warren Dixon goes to plead guilty and tell the truth that he killed Sharita Williams. On a conviction of aggravated manslaughter, and attempted aggravated sexual assault, Dixon is sentenced to 20 years in prison with the possibility of parole. But for Sharita's family, the judge's ruling is not enough. Doesn't make sense for Warren Dixon to get 20 years and Sharita only gets 16. 
you got people that get busted with drugs that do more time than Warren Dixon. Based on Dixon's confession and the evidence, here's what police believe happened that fateful night. Around 5.30, Sharita heads out to her salon appointment and afterward stops by Lonnie Kramer's home, hoping for a secret rendezvous. But his mom sends her packing at the door. After being turned away, Sharita Williams went to a nearby payphone at 32nd Street and attempted to contact Lonnie. But Lonnie's not in the mood to talk and disconnects his phone, so Sharita grudgingly heads home. Along the way, she encounters Warren Dixon, who's hoofing it home from the mall. Since Sharita recognizes his face from school, she takes him up on the offer to get out of the rain. They went under the bridge. It was a rainy, cold night. He tried to force himself upon her. She resisted, and he killed her for it. Enraged, Dixon uses the do-rag he's wearing to try and strangle Sharita. When that doesn't work, he puts his bare hands over her mouth until she stops fighting. Warren Dixon took advantage of the opportunity, the isolation, the weather, the fact that there would be no one around, and eventually took the life of Sharita Williams. But Dixon doesn't stop there. Even though Sharita is already gone, he stuffs plastic shopping bags down her throat. He never says why, but perhaps he wants to make doubly sure his spur-of-the-moment attack is a fatal one. I don't think that he stalked her and then um, took her underneath that bridge. I believe it was a crime of opportunity. For Camden County detectives, Dixon's conviction brings some closure to this tragic tale. Anytime you conclude a case with a conviction, it's good. It's good for the family, it's good for society, and it's what needs to be done. Meanwhile, the town of Pensacan can finally rest easy. They hope it'll be a while before a tragedy like this sullies the evening news again. Warren Dixon came pretty close to getting away with murder, and I believe that it was only through Sherita Williams' family, friends, and the entire neighborhood keeping her spirit alive that gave us the drive and the motivation to continue proactively working until we brought it to a successful end.